Let's turn over to the book of Colossians and go back to Colossians chapter 2. I've had two messages and so far I've covered two verses. So we're making a lot of headway. And I got more that I can say about Colossians chapter 2 verse 2, but I'm going to speed through tonight and we're going to cover some more verses. But basically I use Colossians chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 about the mystery of Christ in us is what this whole book is written about. And Paul wrote this specifically for people that he had not ministered to personally. There was, a, there was one of Paul's converts that went and preached to the people in Colossae. And Paul was concerned that they had the full message, that they had gotten everything. And so he says, I want you to know the, the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's what I've been focused on is that there are many people that acknowledge that Christ is in them, but they don't understand it. And until you understand something, Matthew 13, 19 says, Satan just comes and steals away the word from you if you don't understand it. So you've not only got to just acknowledge that Christ is in you, you've got to understand what that means. And again, I encourage you to get this teaching I have entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body, which is what God showed me that just revolutionized my life. That will help you to understand how Christ is in you. And then this morning we were talking about assuring your heart. We use 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, where it says that you have to assure your heart. It's not just automatic. If the Lord is with you, it's not like, you know, if I was with you and you could see me and feel me and know that I'm there and you just automatically know it, you have to do this by faith. You have to walk by faith. And the only way you can really know what God has done in your life is through the Word of God. And you have to take the Word and assure yourself. So I talked on two main areas this morning that the Word of God is like an anchor that anchors your soul to the things of God. You have got to quit being lazy and we've got to spend time spending time in the Word of God, reassuring our hearts of what God's Word has to say. This whole world system is against the Word of God. It's against us walking in faith and victory. And I tell you, and if you are immersed in our culture today, if you are a typical American, you are not going to have faith. And some of you think that's offensive. And we talk about this being a Christian nation. I have no gripes that it was founded on Christian principles. It had all of those things. But today, this is not a Christian nation. It is not functioning as a Christian nation. It started that way. But I guarantee you, you look on television today and it is pagan. It is wrong. It's just wrong, wrong, wrong. And some of you disagree with that. You're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not going to agree with you or we'd both be wrong. (laughs) I'm telling you. Jesus is not pleased with the way things are going in this nation. It is not the way that it's supposed to be. And if you are a typical American that love all of the shows that all of the unbelievers love, you're going to be hard hearted towards God. It's going to harden your heart towards God. And you don't probably like that, but I'm telling you the truth. Galatians 4:16 says, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? It's the truth. You're going to have to unplug from our society and you're going to have to spend time in the Word of God. It's an anchor of the soul. And then the second thing we talked about 
was that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the guarantee. If you ever go to wavering in your faith and wondering about things, you need to start operating in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. It's much more than something you do just to give you a goosebump and to show you that you received the Holy Spirit 20 years ago. When you pray in tongues, it builds yourself up and it is a powerful, powerful thing. So anyway, I was talking about all of these things about how you have to assure your heart. And then the scripture talks about being fully assured. I could spend all of tonight talking about that, but I'm not going to do it. And then it talks about the riches of the full assurance to the understanding and the acknowledgement of this mystery, which is Christ in you. So all of that's out of Colossians chapter two. I've read a couple of these verses, but let me just continue on through Colossians chapter two in verse three, it says in whom are hid all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, man, there's a lot I can say about that. Did you know that the whole corruption of the human race started with Satan convincing Adam and Eve that they didn't know everything and that they needed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was a lust for what they didn't know. And today this is still prevalent. People just feel like I'm going to miss something. I've got to know all of this stuff. Everything you need to know is hidden in Jesus. Everything. Jesus can show you everything. If I had time, you could go back through history and show that the greatest discoveries in the history of the human race have all been inspired by God fearing people who were praying about something and God gave them revelation of these things and how to do stuff. Man, I saw a show on television not too long ago about the industrial revolution right here in the United States. And those people were, many of them were godly people. They weren't perfect. I'm not saying that they were all right, but they prayed and God showed them how to start making things forward to have an assembly line that revolutionized the world. These are all ideas that came from people who asked God and sought God and God gave them ideas. Everything you need is hidden in God. And we still have this temptation that we've got to We've got to expose ourselves to all of this junk that's going on in the world. Everything you need is in God. Everything you need. I heard a man one time say that everything he needed to know was in the Lord. And he put up a tent for a meeting and a storm came through and blew it down. And somebody was saying, so how do you deal with that? And he said he was praying and he was reading in Isaiah 54, Verse two, I believe it is, or three, where it says, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. God gave him the answer and he put his tent back up and it weathered the storm. Amen. (laughs) Everything you need to know is in the word. In verse four, it says, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. I talked about that last night and Paul didn't use enticing words of man's wisdom. He used demonstration. We've got to get to where we start operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and not just basing our life on arguments and people's doctrines and stuff, but we need to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've already talked about that. In verse five, he says, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, join and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith. Now, remember that these are people that Paul had never personally meant. And so he didn't know these things. He didn't have Skype. 
He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have emails. He couldn't know these things in the natural, but through the Holy Spirit, you can know things that you can't know with your little peanut brain. I tell you, we depend so much on these natural things, which I'm not saying it's wrong to have a computer and email and cell phones, you know, use all of this stuff. I believe if Jesus lived today, he'd use those things. But I'm saying we depend upon this. We depend upon things and we forget that God has given us a spirit and you can know things by the spirit that you can't know by just your mind. You can pray for people and you can find out exactly where they are. You can see their heart. You can know what's going on. This is what Paul is talking about. He wasn't present with them, but because he prayed for these people, he was with them, joying and beholding their order and the steadfastness of their faith. I'm telling you, it seems like that the more we developed in technology and the more we get to where we can understand some of these physical, natural things, the duller we get in the spiritual realm. It's like we have substituted these things. And I'm not saying we turn away from technology. I don't want to go back to just riding a horse everywhere. It would have been a long trip to Chicago. (laughs) I'm not saying that we do that, but I'm saying that that doesn't mean that we have to throw aside the fact that we are a spiritual being and you can know things by your heart that you don't know by your head. You don't have to just depend upon physical, natural things. You can know things by the spirit. God can speak to you. Man, I've got a lot of teaching on this. I'd love to teach on this, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that we walk by, or that's chapter 5, verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says we are looking at things that cannot be seen. And most people think, man, that doesn't make sense. But he's just talking about that you can see by your heart. You can see things on the inside that you can't see on the outside. There are some people like, for instance, this building that I was talking about earlier tonight. Did you know I've seen all of that stuff? I saw it years ago. I knew it was going to come to pass. And as I see the thing coming up, some people say, man, are you excited? No more than I was four years ago. To see it with my physical eyes is actually anticlimactic. It's a letdown because I've seen it in my heart. I could preach on that all night. Matter of fact, I have before. Amen. I've got a series out there about your imagination, how important it is. And you can know things. You can walk by faith. And this is what Paul is making reference from, reference to. In verse 6, he says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Man, this is huge. I quote this verse hundreds and hundreds of times. But there are people that come to the Lord singing the song, just as I am without one plea. And they don't have any faith in themselves. They don't look to their own goodness. They might've been, you know, in the very midst of sin and adultery when the Lord convicted them. And so they come to the Lord and just throw themselves on his mercy and say, Lord, I, I receive it by grace. Just as I am, I come. But then as soon as they get born again, they get this concept that now I've got to be worthy I've got to pray. I've got to fast. I've got to do these things to have God move in my life. And Paul is saying the same way that you receive the Lord is the same way you continue to walk in him. If you got saved in spite of your sin, not because of your sin, well, then you receive everything else from the Lord the same way. Boy, that has been lost as a whole. That has been lost in the body of Christ today. The body of Christ primarily is preaching that you have to be holy enough to earn and deserve the things of God. 
And that is not the way that you got saved. Nobody in here got saved because you deserved it. You got saved because you put faith in a savior. Well, you don't get healed and you don't get prospered and you don't have joy and you don't have peace because you deserve it. You need to receive those things the same way that you receive your salvation by just putting faith in Jesus and in what he's done for you. I could preach on that all night long, but I'm just going to hit that and move along. The next verse says, after you have been walking in him the same way that you received him, it says rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Boy, this, you know, every one of these verses are powerful. God has spoken to me directly through every one of these, and I'm just having to skim through these things quickly. But you abound in faith with thanksgiving. If you aren't operating in thanksgiving, then you aren't abounding in faith. There are different levels of faith and you might have faith and you might be trying to faith it and struggle and fight something. But until you get into praise, you haven't abounded in faith. You haven't hit your highest faith. That's an important point right there. And there's a lot of people that just don't praise God. Like I was talking about earlier that man prays. When you feel bad and you feel like crying and you feel like complaining and you're full of fear, if you will just praise God, man, praise is a weapon against the devil. It will overcome fear. And this says that you abound in your faith with thanksgiving. You need to just make a decision that you are going to be a person who thanks God every single day. Get up and thank him that you're alive. Thank him that you can get out of bed. Thank him that it's as good as it is. It could be worse. You just need to start praising God. And as you praise God, it refocuses your attention away from the problem and it puts your attention upon the answer. You will quit praising if you stay focused on your problem. It forces you to look beyond your problem and to see the good things. Again, there's so much that I could say about that. In verse eight, it says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. I have about seven hours worth of teaching on this one verse, and I'm not going to teach on this tonight. (laughs) I'd love to. I love this teaching. This is powerful. I've got a teaching entitled Christian philosophy. And this is how Paul said that Satan is going to come against you. The word beware, it's a compound word that means be at war. It's talking about be on guard because your adversary is coming against you. And how's he going to do it? Most people think it's a frontal attack. Some demon just attacks you. Satan doesn't have any power to force you to do anything. Satan comes with words, deceptions, vain deceit traditions of man and rudiments of the world, which is talking about just the way that everybody thinks, what people call common sense. Most people just think the way that everybody else thinks. I know you don't like to think about that, but you know, I go into all of these different cultures. And did you know when you go into these different cultures, it's obvious, it's easy to see the difference because you weren't raised in that culture. But when you're raised in it, you just kind of somehow or another think that this is the way that it is. But there are people in different countries that think totally different. They have a totally different mindset. Whether you know it or not, we've all been pressured to just kind of accept basic principles about how life is. And most of the time they do not square with the word of God. 
And we have rudiments of this world, just worldly principles that have been taught all of us. You know, some of them are, God helps those who help themselves. That's not a scripture. It's not in the Bible. And it's really not the, it's not the truth. You might be able to somehow or another twist that and make it conform to scripture. But no, it's like I was using these verses last night. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Proverbs chapter three. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. God made us to be dependent upon him. And it's not about you doing it and God helps those who help themselves. No, you need to be God dependent. But see, that's an attitude that all of us have been raised with that I can't depend upon God. I got to do it myself. And only when you get your back against the wall and it's beyond your ability do you turn to God. That's an ungodly concept. And you need to be like Moses. The Lord told him, I will be with you and I will go with you and direct your steps. And Moses said in Deuteronomy or uh, Exodus chapter 33, he says, Lord, if you don't go with me, I'm not moving. Moses says, I'm not taking a step unless I know you're directing it. Most people see, don't think that way. That's not the way the world thinks. We've been spoiled through these rudiments and doctrines of man. The word philosophy here in verse eight is talking about a way of thinking, systems of thought. And whether you know it or not, you've got a system of thinking. If you were raised to be optimistic, that is a system, a way of looking at life. It's a paradigm. It's a worldview. If you are a pessimist, that's a system of thinking. You could take an optimist and a pessimist, put them side by side, expose them to identical circumstances, and they would have totally different responses, not because something physical happened that made them respond. It's the way they process information. And we have all been taught to process information in a certain way. And with the vast majority of us, it was not taught according to the word of God. You were raised according to the way your family had all done it. Maybe they had all been poor their whole life and they had a poverty mentality. And many of you were raised with the poverty mentality and you don't even realize it, but you, you just will not prosper because you don't see yourself prosperous. Man, I could go on and on and on and on and talk about this. That's what that whole series, about seven hours worth of teaching is about. This is how Satan came against Adam and Eve. He came with words. He didn't come and force them to do anything. Satan comes against us through thoughts that are conveyed through words. That's why it is vital that you control the words that you read and hear because this is how Satan gains access to you. It's also how God gains access to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. You do not just intuitively understand and know God. The word of God is given to renew our mind and to show us how to relate to God. So in a nutshell, here's the problem in the body of Christ. We are more influenced by the world's opinion, their philosophy, their paradigm, their rudiments, their traditions. We are more controlled by those things than we are by the word of God. That's it in a nutshell. How do you deal with this? How do you solve it? You got to change this. You got to spend more time in the word of God than you spend in the world. 
And some of you are thinking, so you're talking about going into a monastery, everybody becoming a preacher. You know, the scripture says in second Corinthians chapter 10, verses three through five, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought into obedience of the Lord Jesus. You can bring every thought in line with the word of God and you can do it while you're working. You can do it. You can keep your mind stayed on God and work all day long and you'll do better. Did you know that the same part of you that worries is the same part of you that meditates on God? If you can go to work and have some financial problems, emotional problems, marriage problems, physical problems, and never really have it out of your thoughts. You're thinking about it all day long and yet you're still doing your job. Well, then you can go to work and you can meditate on the Lord all day long. You can bring your thoughts in line with the word of God. You do not have to have a secular part of you and a spiritual part. You can let the Lord permeate every part of your life. Man, I could talk about that all night long. But there's a lot of people that don't know how to bring God into their everyday life. It's just like they have a secular life. There is no such thing. Man, if Jesus is Lord, he's Lord. He ought to rule over everything. He ought to, you ought to pray when you go to work. You ought to ask God, God, what do you want me to do today? How can I do something? How can I make a contribution and help other people? How can I help this company to prosper and do things? Anyway, I could spend a lot of time talking about this, but this is how Satan comes against you is through thoughts. And he says, beware, lest he spoil you. The word spoil here is talking about like you you conquer an enemy and you strip them of all of their good things. We've got the riches of the glory of all of this in Christ, but we, Satan is trying to strip us of it and take away from us our healing and our health, our prosperity, our deliverance, our joy and peace. And sad to say he's effective more than he should be with most people because they are being corrupted by the philosophy of this world. Amen. I'm preaching better than you're listening. In verse nine, he says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything that God is, is in Jesus. You know, if we had time, I'm not going to take time to do it, but you ought to go back and read Colossians chapter one, because he was saying these same things. And then he got to talking about how Jesus created everything. There is nothing made that wasn't created by Jesus. And in him, God wanted all fullness to dwell. And it says that he is the firstborn. That's not talking about he was created. It's talking about preeminence. Like the firstborn always got a double portion of the inheritance. They were the most important. They were the one that inherited everything. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation that in all things he might have the preeminence. Colossians chapter one just talks about the awesomeness of Jesus, how he is the express image of the father and all of these things. And so this is saying that in him, does all of the fullness of the Godhead dwell bodily. And then verse 10 says, and you are complete in him, 
which is the head of all principality and power. In Jesus is everything that God is and has, and you are in Jesus, and Jesus is in you, and we ought to see ourselves so complete that we can do anything. We can do all things through Christ. Man, these are awesome statements that he's making. And again, the reason he's making these statements is so that nobody will lie to them. If, if a person is going to be drawn away from the truth and led into deception, I guarantee you it's going to be similar to the way Adam and Eve were led into deception. Adam and Eve had everything. They were living in paradise. It was absolutely perfect. And yet a talking snake convinced them that they didn't have everything and that they wouldn't be happy and complete until they got more. And it's the same thing. The only way you'll ever go into deception and into bondage is to buy this lie that you don't have everything and there's something more. If you would just go do this, if you would just do something else. And what Paul was doing was showing them that, no, you've got everything in Christ. You need to understand, acknowledge Christ in you, the hope of glory, and then get the understanding and the assurance and the full assurance You need to recognize that in Christ is everything. You're complete. And when you find your completion in Christ, you won't be susceptible to all of the lies and the deception of the devil. If Adam and Eve would have just said, man, I'm content with what God has done. I don't need anything else. We wouldn't be in the mess that we're in today. But they bought the lie that, man, I've got to have something else to be happy, to be complete. Man, you ought to find your completion, your everything in the Lord Jesus. So that's what he's saying in verse 10. In verse 11, in whom, talking about in Jesus, you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You know, to the Jewish nation, circumcision was the number one thing. It was all about this outward act. This is saying that circumcision was just a physical picture of a spiritual thing. Keep your finger right here and let me just read this passage to you in Romans chapter 2. This will really upset a lot of Messianic Jews. I'm not against Messianic Jews, but there's a lot of people thinking that you got to go back to the Jewish nation and you got to go into the feast days and do all of this kind of stuff. Look at what Paul said right here in Romans chapter two. He said um, in verse 25, for circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of man, but of God. Boy, this is offensive to some people, but all of those things in the Old Testament were outward signs and and, uh, circumcision was an outward sign. But in the New Testament, as it says over here in in Colossians chapter two, we've been circumcised in our heart so that the old sin nature is taken away. The sinful part is taken away and that we are now standing before God without that sin nature. 
And this is something that is already accomplished. And there's so many people that have missed this. And so it says in verse 12, this is back in Colossians chapter two, verse 12, buried with him by baptism, in baptism, wherein you are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. Man, I could preach on that for an hour or two. Most people don't understand this. They think that when you get born again, you are forgiven of all of the sins that you had committed before that time. But after you're saved, you've got to confess every sin and get it under the blood or God will punish you for it. And there's extreme, there's different extremes. The ultra Pentecostals will believe every time you sin, you're backslid you lost your salvation. If you were to die before you get that sin confessed, you go to hell. A lesser interpretation, but the exact same thing is, no, you don't lose your salvation, but God won't heal you. God won't fellowship with you. You'll lose your joy. You'll lose your peace. God won't move and use you if you've got any sin in your life. But the truth is that you were forgiven of all sin, past, present, and even future sins. All of your sins have been forgiven. God is not imputing sin unto you. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 19. It's already done. Hebrews chapter 10 verse, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter nine, verse 12 says that um, he forgave sins once for all. Your sins have been forgiven through one offering. You do not have to be repurged every time you sin. I know that there's some questions here and this again is not what I'm teaching on tonight, but I just couldn't let it go without saying it. If you got questions, you ought to go get my series entitled Eternal Redemption. It'll answer those questions and show you how you have been eternally redeemed, not just redeemed till the next time you sin and then you got to get reborn again, again. You were born again one time and you were forgiven of all of your sins. Even the sins you haven't committed have already been forgiven. Man, that is nearly too good to be true news, but this is what it's talking about. He has forgiven you all trespasses. And look at this in verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. This handwriting that was written against us, you know what that was? The law. Again, he's getting into some things, and this is where I was really wanting to get to is down here. But Paul had warned them. He he wanted them to be stable in the Lord. And now he's trying to warn them against the bondages of legalism and going back to thinking that they have to please God based on their performance, which is what the Old Testament law taught. Most Christians have misunderstood the law. They thought that God gave the law to help us, to show us all of the things that we needed to do. And to the degree that we conform to the law, God will accept us and move in our life. That's not true. The Lord gave the law to kill us, is what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 to condemn us. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse nine, first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. He gave the law to strengthen sin. 
In Romans chapter seven, he gave the law to make sin come alive and kill us. Romans chapter three, verse 19, he gave the law to give knowledge of sin, to shut your mouth, verse 20, to make you condemned. The law wasn't given so that you could keep it and thereby have relationship with God. The law was given to people who were deceived, thinking I'm a relatively good person and my good is going to outweigh my bad and I believe God will accept me based on my own performance. God gave the law to people like that saying, you think you're good enough? Let me show you what my standard is. And he raised the bar so high that nobody could ever qualify. The purpose of the law was to show you how sinful you were and condemn you so that you would quit being self-righteous and thinking that you could earn God's favor. And instead you would throw yourself on the mercy of God. Galatians chapter three says this in many, many different ways. And so this is what he's talking about here. He took that law that was contrary to us. It wasn't for us. It was against us. The law had a purpose and it was a good purpose. And that was to shut you up under the faith that should afterwards be revealed. To take away all of your self-righteousness and your trust in yourself. And if you use it for that purpose, that's good. But once a person comes to the Lord, the law isn't for you anymore. And God took this law that was contrary to us. He took it out of the way and nailed it to his cross. The law was fulfilled in Christ, not in you. It's not you that has to fulfill it and earn things. Jesus fulfilled it. The law was nailed to the cross is what it's saying right here. And in verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it, in the law. Jesus conquered the law. He fulfilled it himself and put an end to people accepting or receiving relationship with God through the law. He's the only one that was able to do it. And then he has now made relationship with God available to people on the basis of faith and grace, not based on your performance. And it says that he spoiled principalities and powers. This is in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. It talks about principalities and powers as being demonic forces that we wrestle against. So he made a show of the devil. This word show, it it literally means exhibition. It's the word we get exhibition from. You know, what I think of is in biology class in high school, we used to have to go catch these, uh, you know, different insects and you would put a pin through them and put them on a piece of paper and write underneath them what it was. They probably don't do that today. That's probably considered politically incorrect. To kill a bug. (laughs) Anyway, that's what we did. We were brutal. We would take butterflies and moths and ants and insects and beetles and we would kill them and stick a pin through them and make an exhibition out of them, make a show of them. And that's the way I see the devil is just being impaled, nailed to the cross, just sitting there. He He was made a show of openly. And it says here in this 15th verse, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Did you know in the Greek, this is a word that signifies what the Romans called a triumphant procession. And it was a military thing that when they conquered an enemy, they would take him, they would strip him naked 
and they would tie him to a horse or to a chariot. They'd cut off his, both of his thumbs and both of his big toes and they would have a parade and march him through the streets, totally humiliated, showing that if he had any ability to fight and do anything, he would not be in this situation. It was to totally humiliate him. And by cutting off his thumbs, it showed he could never hold a sword again. By cutting off his big toes, he couldn't run or chase anybody again. And they would parade him through the streets so that all the people who used to be terrified of this enemy would now see that the enemy has been totally defeated. There is zero reason to fear him. And that's what they called a triumphant procession. That's what this Greek word is when it says triumphing over him. Jesus had a parade in the pages of the Bible and shows the devil as a defeated foe, stripped naked. He has no ability to do anything. Satan can't force a single person to be sick, to be poor, to be bitter, to have problems. All he can do, he's got a big mouth and he will yell at you and try and deceive you and you defeat yourself. But Satan himself is stripped and Jesus had a parade in the Bible. And the sad thing is most Christians miss the parade. Most Christians haven't seen this. As a matter of fact, if you go out into the world, the unsaved people, did you know they don't give the devil much credit? They don't even much acknowledge that he exists. They think that you're weird if you talk about the devil made you do it. But you go into most churches, they give the devil a lot of respect, a lot of power. They talk about how the devil makes them do this and how they're fighting these demonic powers and all of this stuff. You know, the very fact that you call it warfare, warfare is a conflict between two undefeated foes. There is no such thing as spiritual warfare the way that the church talks about it because that means that Satan is undefeated. Satan is defeated. He's been stripped. He's had all of his teeth pulled. Satan is a defeated foe and the only reason he has any power is because we missed the parade and we just give it to him. He mouths off and tells us that he's going to do this to us and we just cower to him. Man, Paul is saying all of these things to highlight what we have in Christ, Christ in us, and to show that our enemy has been totally, totally defeated. So in verse 16, he says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And now in the next few verses, he begins to get back into this thing about that the law was contrary to us. Satan comes against believers and gets us to doubting that God is with us or that God will flow through us and use us or answer our prayers because we haven't fulfilled the law. We haven't measured up. We aren't worthy. And he's saying, get away from that stuff. You need to turn away from this. Don't let people judge you. And in these things he's mentioning here, he mentions five things. He talks about, don't let people judge you in respect of meat. Did you know that the Jews had strict dietary laws? The most popular ones, the ones that most people are aware of today is you couldn't eat pork, bacon and ham and stuff like that. But you also couldn't eat any kind of a fish that had scales. Or excuse me, not scales, but... um, um, if it had scales and fins, it's okay. But what am I thinking of? Shells. That's what I, thank you. Anything that had a shell, shrimp, 
lobster, anything like that, oysters, anything like that, that was unclean. And you couldn't eat those things. Even if you touched those things, you were defiled and you had to be purged. He's saying, don't let people judge you in that. Did you know that today the church by and large doesn't observe those things? Most people do eat pork. Most people do eat lobster, shrimp, and stuff like that. And did you know it's right? Because over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's, it taught, let me just read this to you because some of you, this is a brand new wrinkle in your brain. So let me give you this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And then he begins to start talking about what are some of these doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. Did you know anybody who forbids to marry, whether it's priest or whatever, and they have to be celibate. It's a doctrine of the devil. Now, Paul talked about that. If you have the gifting from God, you're better off if you remain single because of the present distress that's over in first Corinthians chapter seven, but he never forbid anybody to marry. If you forbid people to marry, it's a doctrine of the devil. And that's one of the reasons that there's so much homosexuality among priests because they are going against the way that God created us to be. And it's just wrong. It's perverted. It's a doctrine of the devil. Somebody's really offended at me right now. And so, oh, so you're coming against the Catholics or the whoever. I'm not against anybody. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It's a doctrine of the devil. I'm not against them. I've got friends that are Catholics and then God's not mad at you. And you could be born again and be a Catholic. But the doctrine of priest cannot marry is a doctrine of the devil. And there's people, I can't believe you said that. I didn't say it. I'm telling you what the Bible says. It's a doctrine of the devil to forbid to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created. He created animals to be received with thanksgiving. That's what he created them for. Some people say, well, men didn't eat animals originally. Well, I agree with that, but God knew what was going to happen. And this says he created them with this in mind. He gave us animals to eat. Eating twigs and berries is not food. That's what food eats. Amen. It's a doctrine of the devil. If you say you can't eat certain foods. That's what the Bible says. I know some of you just can't believe that I'm saying this in public. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. There's a lot of people who will not say what the Bible says because it's not politically correct. I tell you, in New York City, they now are punishing you for drinking sodas and doing certain things. It's a doctrine of the devil. I know some of you disagree with that, but I'm, I'm not budging. That's what the Bible says. 
He created those things to be received with thanksgiving of them that believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. There are some people that say, well, why did God give these dietary laws? Well, and people will bring up like pork and say it has trichinosis in it and it's hard to cook it out. And back in those days, people couldn't cook pork properly. And so the reason God said not to eat uh, pork was because of the potential for disease. It was a health thing. The only place that God's command not to eat certain things is explained in scripture is right here in Colossians chapter two, verses 16 and 17. And verse 17 says, it was a shadow of things to come. It was not a health law. Now there may have been a secondary benefit to that. I'm not saying that God in his wisdom couldn't have that, but that wasn't the purpose. And if you're sitting here and saying, God gave all of these Old Testament things. And if you're on the Old Testament dietary system, because that's what God ordained, you've missed the purpose. Amen. (laughs) Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. I'm telling you, this is what the Bible says back in Colossians chapter two. Don't let anybody judge you about your meat, what you eat, what you drink about holy days and new moon sacrifice. You know, most of you don't know what all of these dietary laws are even about. And yet some people will fight for it. It seems like if you're going to fight for it, you ought to at least know what this is about. Did you know that you had to offer a sacrifice to atone for yourself every new moon? How many of you did that? How many of you even know when the last new moon was? You know, it's amazing. Five things are listed here and four things the church by and large has gotten beyond. Most of you eat pork. Bacon is my favorite food. I think that's I love bacon. So we don't any longer judge people over their food. We don't judge them over their drink. We don't judge them over the holidays. How many of you kept the last Feast of Tabernacles, Passover and all of these things? We don't do that because it says Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. We are now, the communion that we take is actually the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament Passover. And you are observing Passover when you take the Lord's Supper. But we don't go by the uh, Passover anymore. We've been set free from that. Four out of these five things, most of the body of Christ today believes are gone. But then the last thing it lists right here, it says, or of the Sabbath days. Did you know that there are still entire denominations today who preach the Sabbath, the seventh day Adventist, they named their denomination after it, that you have to observe the Sabbath. And they go back to Old Testament scriptures where it says that you could be put to death if you don't observe the Sabbath. But this verse, verse 17 says all of these things, including the Sabbath were a shadow of things to come not the very image of those things. It was a shadow. You know, a shadow, it means that it gave a picture of something before you had the reality. But now that the reality has come, you don't worship the shadow. 
You know, it's like if you were standing around on the other, imagine that this pulpit is a tall building or something. And if you were standing around the other side and you couldn't see me, but if there was a light behind me and you could see my shadow, then that shadow gives you a lot of information. It tells you whether I'm standing still, whether I'm walking towards you, whether I'm walking away from you, whether I'm carrying something, or you could tell all kinds of things about me by my shadow. And so if you can't see me, a shadow is very important. Before Jesus came and before he had fulfilled all of these things, many things in the Old Testament were shown in types and shadows. The Old Testament sacrifices of animals was a shadow of Jesus. We don't offer blood sacrifices today because Jesus was a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And yet I can show you scriptures that you have to offer sacrifices forever. How do you deal with that? I do, I still do, but it's now one sacrifice dealt with all of my sins forever. And I'm now standing in what Christ has done. Likewise, the Sabbath was a shadow of something that was to come. And when we couldn't see the reality, when we didn't have the reality, then this shadow was enforced and you had to live by it. But if I walk around the corner and if I'm now in full view, and if you ran up and fell down and hugged my shadow, we would think something's wrong with you. (laughs) The shadow is only of use if you can't see me. But if I'm in full view, you come up and shake my hand. You hug me. You talk to me. Don't talk to my shadow. The Sabbath was a shadow, a picture of a New Testament reality. And I would love to tell you what that was, but I hadn't got time tonight. I've got a teaching entitled Our Sabbath Rest that's based on Hebrews chapter 4, and it'll tell you what the Sabbath pictured. But now we live in a Sabbath. We rest in what Jesus has done, his finished work. And we no longer have to observe all of the dietary laws and all of the feast days and the new moon and the Sabbath day. We are living in a Sabbath. A person who is observing a certain day and won't work and won't do certain things on a Sabbath day in the new covenant is a Sabbath breaker. They are hugging and worshiping the shadow and not embracing the reality that is now available in Christ. This is my opinion. I don't have anything to prove this, but I think this is why the New Testament church specifically meant on Sunday, which is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Friday sunset till Saturday sunset. And I think that the reason that the church started meeting and holding church on Sunday was because that was the day that Jesus was resurrected. It was a clear break from the Old Testament Sabbath because they understood that was now fulfilled in Christ and they did it intentionally to break away from the Old Testament law. Many Christians today are right back in the same rut and they have taken the law off of the Christ, I mean, off of the cross and are now trying to live by it once again. And this is how Satan is spoiling them and keeping them from experiencing all of these blessings. I've just countered a tremendous amount of religious doctrine tonight. And I know that there's a lot of people that don't like this, but just let me ask you this. How's your system working for you? Many of you are miserable and depressed and discouraged and you know there's got to be something more. I'm telling you what it is. It's the liberty in Christ. 
finding out what you've already got in Christ and quit worshiping the shadow and worship Jesus who now has fulfilled all of these things. So in verse 18, he says, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. The wording here is a little bit awkward in the King James, but he's just simply saying there are people that were coming in and trying to say that you've got to deny yourself and you've got to worship angels and you've got to do all of these other things. And he was just saying, no, get rid of all of that. The focus has to be on Jesus Christ in you. You don't have to do anything else to earn God's favor. You've already got Christ living on the inside of you. Get assured of that. Understand it. And this is the point that he's making. In verse 19, in not holding the head, talking about Jesus, from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of this world, which is again talking about these basic principles of the world and specifically all of these commands of the Old Testament law, how you got to offer a sacrifice every new moon. You can't eat certain foods. You can't drink certain things. You got to observe the Sabbath and stuff like this. If you are dead with Christ from the rudiments of this world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the uh, commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. This is just a way of saying that, you know, all of these religious things, they have some benefit in you disciplining yourself and recognizing your unworthiness. And there may be some benefit to it, but it is just will worship. It it pats you on the back for all of your accomplishments. And since I've already upset most people, I might as well just say this, that, you know, at Easter time, all of the Lent and the fact that you have to go through and deny yourself and you can't eat this. And there's some people that every Friday you can't eat certain things. You have to do the, all of this religious stuff is what he's talking about. Why are you subject to that stuff? It's because people, oh, this is what I have to do to make myself worthy and purge myself. You aren't holding the head. You aren't recognizing that Jesus has already done it. And instead, you are trying to somehow or another atone for your sins. You know, I've met people who literally have pulled up their pants legs and shown me scars on their knees and on their hands and forearms. And this one guy in particular crawled three and a half miles over broken pieces of glass doing penance for his sins. He was a Mexican. And in Mexico, this is the way that the Catholic church observes the Easter season in Lent. And some of the, he told me about one of his friends that actually crucified himself and died on a cross doing penance for his sin. And people say, well, you don't have to do that. Did you know Lent where you have to deny yourself and fast and do all this? It's the same thing. Thank you for that thunderous silence. There's nothing wrong with you fasting if you fast to change your heart towards God. 
But if you are fasting to gain God's favor and to make God move, and if you're calling a hundred people on the prayer chain because God won't answer your prayer, but maybe a hundred people will put enough pressure on God. (laughs) What that is, is a slap in the face of Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, you aren't enough. I've got to do something. I've got to earn this. I've got to make myself worthy. I've got to deny myself. I've got to do this and this, and I've got to go through all of this penance. Most of you wouldn't crawl three and a half miles over broken glass. You wouldn't get on a cross because you say Jesus did it. Well, you don't have to anymore go through all of the Lent and all of this stuff and through all of the religious rituals and all of the purgings and all of this stuff. Brothers and sisters, I know that many people think I'm mad at somebody and picking on them. I'm not against anybody. I'm just telling you, we've got religious traditions and doctrines of men today that are taking our attention away from Christ, the head, and instead of recognizing Christ is in me, I'm not got to do something to get him to come be in me. I don't have to do something to make him rend the heavens and come down. He's already here. And then in the next verse, I need to quit. So I'll just mention this quickly and hopefully I'll be able to pick up on this tomorrow. But in chapter three, verse one, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth for you are dead to all of this ritual and all of this stuff in your life is hid with Christ and God. He's basically saying, why are you going through all of these religious calisthenics and doing this stuff, you ought to have your attention focused on Jesus and set your affection on things above. Recognize who you are in Christ, that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We aren't trying to obtain victory. We've already got victory. We're already seated in Christ. Instead of seeing yourself down here as, oh God, I'm sick. Would you please heal me? You need to see yourself in Christ Jesus. You know, it says over in first Peter chapter four, let me just read this to you. Cause I'm not, not sure I can quote the whole thing. Exactly. First Peter chapter four in verse one, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. The same mind is what? The same mind that Jesus now has. Arm yourself likewise with the same mind for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. For years, I thought this was talking about that if we would just suffer, if we would punish ourselves, if we would deny ourselves and do all of this, then we'd be able to overcome sin. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about Jesus is the one who suffered and he's now ceased from sin. He's now seated at the right hand of God, the father. And you need to get the same mindset that you think Jesus has right now. How would Jesus view your problem? If the doctor told him he had cancer and he was going to die, do you think Jesus would fall apart like a $2 suitcase that he would start crying and planning his funeral? Well, you need to let the same mind be in you, which was in him. He's now ceased from sin. He at one time submitted himself to sin and died, but he rose from the dead and he's now over all of this. And I guarantee you sickness, poverty, disease, sorrow, grief. Jesus isn't worrying. He is, he is on top of everything. And you need to let this mind be in you, which was also in him. 
That's what he's talking about. It says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of man, but to the will of God. You need to arm yourselves with this same mind. You need to see yourself seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You need to see yourself superior to sickness, superior to uh, anger and bitterness and this kind of stuff. And I'm not going to live this way. I tell you, there's not very many Christians that see themselves that way. Matter of fact, if you start talking like this, did you know that if you go back into the average church, they'll criticize you over this and say, so you just think you're somebody special. (laughs) I don't think I by myself am anybody special, but I believe Jesus on the inside of me is awesome. I believe that I believe that I am now a world overcomer. I believe greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I believe that sickness and disease is inferior to who I am in Christ. I believe that poverty can't stop me. And I know that there's many of you that just think I'm weird, but that's normal Christian life. You know, we're building this $32 million building. And in three years, I've raised $30 million. And somebody said, well, you're on television stuff. Well, there's a lot of people on television that can't raise $30 million in three years above their normal expense. And if they do, they got to give gimmicks and tell people that I see a thousand people that are going to give a thousand dollars and all this. I hadn't used any of this stuff. I hadn't manipulated anybody. I hadn't begged for anything. I'm telling you, it's working because I see myself in Christ. And if the Lord tells me to do something, if he told me to do something that cost a hundred million dollars, I'll do it. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. And I believe that God will equip me to be able to do it. Amen. You can see yourself in Christ Jesus, but you can't be seated in Christ. And at the same time down here with all of these beggarly elements of the world thinking, oh man, I got to do this and I got to dot this I and cross this T and I've got to do this. And if I miss uh, reading my Bible readings, God won't bless me. Man, you're missing it. You need to recognize that you've already got Christ in you, the hope of glory. You need to get the acknowledgement, the understanding, be assured of it, fully assured You need to get these things and quit being dominated by all of this external stuff. Somebody says, well, man, if people were to follow your advice, they would just go live in sin because now they don't have to observe all of these things. What's wrong with that thinking is that if you start seeing who you are in Christ, if you really do this and you receive the revelation of the Holy Spirit, his revelation you will fall so in love with Jesus for what he's done for you. And you will get so excited about what he's done for you that you will live holier accidentally than you have ever lived on purpose before. If you start focusing on, I can do all things through Christ. I can lay my hands on the sick and see them recover. And you start seeing people raised from the dead and blind eyes open. You'll lose all of your desire to go get drunk. You get high off of ministering to people. Man, you'll start finding out that it is so awesome to come to a meeting like this and to hear the word of God. You'll do this instead of going out and looking at pornography and other stuff. I tell you, if you ever understand what Jesus has done for you, it causes you to live holy. It doesn't free you to sin. It'll free you from sin. 
And this is what Paul is talking about. He's telling these people, don't listen to these people who are trying to put you back under the law and make you to where you have to do all of these things in order to have God accept you. You need to recognize that you now have Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, he isn't out there wanting to get on the inside of you. If you've been born again, you have Christ living on the inside of you and you need to get a full revelation of that. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome. There's so many things I'd love to share with you right now, but the heart can't absorb more than the seat can endure. So I'm going to let you go. But I'm not through. We're going to start again in the morning and we're going to continue to talk about this. And I tell you, I believe that if you could get the revelation of the things that are being said right here, this would just transform your life. Again, I'm aware that there's many people that are offended by what I've said because this rubs you the wrong way. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong. I've said it from scripture. Before you just totally reject this, you ought to go to the word and say, all right, if, if this guy's wrong, well then read these scriptures and tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I missed it in first Timothy chapter four, except don't tell me, I'm just talking about, I'm not going to listen to you. I've heard all these gripes and complaints before, but I mean, you study it for yourself and in your mind, go to the word and disprove it. And I don't believe you can disprove it. This is exactly what these things are saying. The sad fact is very few people let the word of God influence what they believe. Most people believe what they believe because this is what I've been taught my whole life. This is, I had a woman come to me one time and she says, I was raised a Methodist and I'm going to die a Methodist. And I said, you are dead and don't know it. I'm not against Methodist. I'm not against anybody, but I'm just saying that I had, a, I had the, a pastor come to me one time and this pastor said, so which interpretation of the Bible do you use? And I said, what do you mean? And he says, do you approach it from an Armenian or a Calvinist standpoint? And at the time I said, I don't even know what Armenian and Calvinist is. And he says, but everybody, you have to have a way of looking at the Bible and inter I said, I don't have any way of looking at the Bible. I just read the Bible and whatever the Bible says, I believe it. And I said, I don't have an agenda. I haven't adopted this way of thinking over here. I'm not a Baptist, a Methodist or anything over here. And I go to the word and try and make it fit into my doctrine. I just go to the word and whatever it says to the best of my ability, I try and believe what the word says. But there's a lot of people that make the word of God of none effect by their tradition. And I'm sure there's people right here in this room that I have ruffled your tradition. Come against the way that you were taught, but that doesn't mean that what I've said is wrong. I encourage you to check it out. You know, if this is like when you rub the hair on a cat the wrong direction and it all stands up, you know how you solve that situation? You just turn the cat around and keep rubbing. <laughs> and it'll all lay down. If what I've said rubbed you the wrong way, repent, turn around, and you'll go to liking it. It'll feel good. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for these truths. Thank you for the apostle Paul. 
being so bold as to say all of these things. And Father, we just thank you that Christ is in us, that we don't have to do something to make ourselves worthy and conform to all of these rituals and do all of these things. Thank you that Jesus fulfilled it all. And that, Father, we now already have right standing. We are already reconciled unto you. Thank you, Father, that you defeated the devil and the law and you made a show of him. You had a parade and that you showed these things in the Word of God. And I pray that through the things I've said tonight that people saw the parade. They saw that Satan is defeated, that all of these things that were preached that you have to do are fulfilled in Christ and that we would put our focus 100% upon Jesus and that we would trust Him and do everything through Him, through His name, through His holiness and not base it on our conforming, conformity to some standard. Father, I just thank You that the Holy Spirit makes this real to people, that people are freed from all of these ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, that, Father, we would begin to start trusting you and looking to you and receive directly from you. Thank you, Father. We just receive this. And I believe that the Word of God is going to impact people's lives, that you will change people's hearts tonight, that we will walk in the liberty and the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You know, if you don't know Jesus personally, You need to make Jesus your Lord. And maybe tonight, you know, there are a lot of people that I've met that they know God exists, but they've just never committed themselves to him because they don't think that they could ever fulfill it. They don't think that they could ever be holy enough. And so rather than be a hypocrite, they just have never committed their life to the Lord. If you've understood what I've talked about tonight, it's not based on your holiness. Jesus has already done it for you. And you, you can just run up a white flag and surrender and say, Father, I'll just receive my salvation as a gift. I'll put faith in Jesus. There's some people here tonight that probably need to do that, that you've never trusted Jesus. You've been trusting yourself and trying to be worthy enough. You need to humble yourself and receive salvation as a gift, not as a payment for your goodness. And if there's anybody here who's already been born again, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, I guarantee you, you need that. And I can promise you this. It says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says the natural man or mind does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. You have to have the Holy Spirit to explain these things to you. Everything I've said here tonight is counter to the way the world thinks. The world bases everything on your performance. Husband and wife relate to each other on performance. Children and parents, the whole world operates on performance, but God bases it on whether or not you've made Jesus your Lord, not your personal performance. You cannot retain this. You will lose any benefit that you got from this tonight unless you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes a lot of things, but it includes speaking in tongues. And I know that there's people sitting right here who say, well, man, that's not what I've been taught. I've been taught against it. I was taught against it too. But as I studied the Word, I came to realize it, and I now speak in tongues. And we've seen how many people probably 
153 people have come forward in two services now and have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. So I could spend a lot more time on this tonight, but I'm telling you, if you don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues, you need it. You won't be able to understand these things. You won't be able to retain it very long on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to quicken it to you. He's the one that wrote the Bible. He can also interpret it to you, but you can't, the Bible's not written to your brain. It's written to your heart. You got to receive it in your heart, not just your head. Amen. It'll help you. Is there anybody here who would say, man, I need either one or both of those things. I either need to be born again, make Jesus my Lord, or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody here that would like that? If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand right now, just wherever you are. Praise God. Be bold and raise your hand. I want to pray with you and help you to receive. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat, come forward. We're going to pray with you and help you to receive here tonight in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. And let's praise God for these as they come forward. of the Holy Spirit changed my life more outwardly than being born again. Now being born again is absolutely essential. I'm not saying that it's not important, but that's what happens to you inwardly. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is when you get power and you start releasing this life that's on the inside of you out. And I tell you, as far as my outward experience, my life changed more through receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit than it did when I got born again. And I believe it's going to be the same for you. I believe that this is going to just make you stronger than horseradish. You'll never be the same again. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else here want to receive? You know, I know in my heart that there's some people here that don't speak in tongues. And you may think, well, I'm not sure it's that important. Well, I am. I'm absolutely certain. If you don't speak in tongues, you ought to come down here. This morning, I shared just a little bit of the benefit of speaking in tongues, but there's so much more. I've got a book that I'm going to give every single person down here that will explain what the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is all about, and it'll help you a lot. But again, if you don't speak in tongues, please don't just sit there. You ought to be down here. Somebody says, well, what if I go down there and nothing happens? Well, I can guarantee you if you don't come down here, nothing's going to happen. You got nothing to lose. I'm going to give you a free book. You're going to gain out of this. There's no reason not to come down here. Somebody, I've had people come up to me after a service before and say, well, I had questions about it. Well, I've got answers, but you know what? I can't, I'm not going to be able to talk to you individually. If you'll come forward, we'll pray with you. We'll give you a book. And it'll explain things and help you to understand it. There's just no reason for you not to come down here. Amen. 
I know in my heart that there's still people sitting out there, and I don't know why you do this. Some people aren't convinced that this is really that important, but I am. How many of you in here have already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues? Look at this. You know what? Some of you didn't realize this because you see me on television and I don't spit and say glory to God the, the way most Pentecostals do. And you just didn't realize you were coming to one of these tongue-talking churches. But you know what? You're here now and they are going to talk about you for coming. So you might as well get something for it. Amen. It'd be a shame to get ridiculed and not even have anything to show for it. Praise God. I tell you what, the Holy Spirit is going to impact your life tonight. I believe He's going to change people's lives. Praise the Lord. This is awesome. You know, before I can pray with you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that you have to receive Jesus as your Savior first. He's the one that gives the Holy Spirit, so you can't get the Holy Spirit until you get the giver of the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus. Is there anybody down here who's not absolutely certain that you've been born again, that you've ever made your uh, commitment to Jesus as your personal Savior? Anybody? If that's you, I need to pray with you first, and we need to make sure that you've been born again. Anybody? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's one down here. There's a couple down here. Anybody else? Praise God. Here's another one. Here's four. You need to be sure. You know, if you aren't sure, you ought to pray with me right now and make sure. Here's a, here's a way of discerning. If you were to stand before God right now, and if he said, what makes you worthy to enter into heaven? What would you say? If you would point to anything but Jesus, you would go to hell. If you said, but I'm a good person and I go to church and I live the best that I can, you would go to hell because even though you might be better than me, who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You must have a savior. You have to put your faith in Jesus. And your response to that question would have shown where your faith is. If you pointed to yourself, to your church attendance, to your goodness, then your faith wasn't in a Savior. Your faith was in yourself. So let me ask again, is there anybody else that you need to make sure your faith is in a Savior, that Jesus is your Lord? You need to pray. Anybody else? Here's another one down here. Anybody else? Here's another one. You just need to make sure. I'm not trying to talk you out of your faith, but there's so many people today. Salvation is not properly presented. And many people think, I go to church. I believe that there's a God. Isn't that enough? The Bible says the devil believes and trembles at the name of God. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Believing that there's a God is not anything that the devil hasn't done. You got to do what the devil hasn't done and you got to commit your life to him and make him your Lord. Amen. So I'm going to pray. I think this is six or seven people. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And this is based on Romans chapter 10, verse nine. Romans 10, nine says that if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's really that simple. Jesus has already paid for your sins. It's not dependent on if you confess your sins, will he forgive you? He's already forgiven you. It's not a matter of will he forgive you. 
It's a matter of will you receive that forgiveness by making him the Lord of your life. He's already done his part. Now will you bow the knee and say, Jesus, I make you my Lord. If you will do that, then you can receive this salvation and you become a brand new person on the inside. All of your sins are washed away, past, present, and even ones you haven't committed yet are already forgiven. Man, that's awesome news, isn't it? He does that just because he loves you. And so the Bible says you have to confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to say something similar to what you need to say. And if you will mean this from your heart, then you'll be born again. You'll be totally changed right now, regardless of what you've done. Isn't that good news? That was a question. Isn't that good news? To think that God Almighty would forgive you? Amen. I'm going to ask everybody in here to pray this prayer with me so that they won't feel like we're just listening to them. But I want you to repeat this prayer after me and mean it in your heart. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died and forgave my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive, that you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You believe that? You believe that? Awesome. Awesome. If you believe that, then the Bible says that you just got changed. You know, if you were a man, you're still a man. If you're a woman, you're still a woman. That physical body didn't change. Your mind didn't change, but your spirit is completely changed right now. The Bible says you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Man, isn't that awesome? And for every person down here, now every person down here has done this. And according to the Bible, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means that this is what God created you for, is to be a dwelling place, a place for His Holy Spirit to live in. That's important because if this is what you were created for, there's no way that God would fail to give you the Holy Spirit when you ask. This is what you were made for. Some people will teach that you got to get rid of all sin and you got to be holy. God won't fill a dirty vessel. I want you to know God hadn't got any other kind of vessel to fill. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If you got sin in your life, if you're a mess, you're the very person that God wants to fill with His Holy Spirit so that you can start having power to overcome. So don't let any sense of unworthiness or failure keep you from receiving and believing. God gave a promise. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We're going to ask. We aren't going to beg. We don't have to scream and cry. We're just going to open up the doors of these temples and welcome the Holy Spirit to come in. I'm going to lead you in a real simple prayer. And man, God is going to come into your life big time. And then I'd like to ask our prayer ministers to come up here and they're going to stand behind you 
and they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're going to ask and just open up our hearts to receive the Holy Spirit. And then they're going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking. There's a time to ask and welcome the Holy Spirit. But then there's a time to believe that what he said he he would do, he does. So after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking God for the Holy Spirit and instead take a step of faith and just go to thanking him that he gave you the Holy Spirit because he promised that he would. I don't care what you feel like. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing. But man, I got him and he got me and I speak in tongues. It was not a feeling. It was just something I believe. So regardless of what you feel, I want you to start thanking God that his word is true, that he gave you the Holy Spirit. And at that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to raise your hands. Because the Bible says that when you lift up your hands in the sanctuary, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. It's your way of just surrendering. Oh God, I yield. So we're going to pray for you. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to lift your hands and go to thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start speaking in our tongue and worshiping the Lord. Because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks unto God. So we're going to start thanking God. And as we start thanking God, I want you to switch from thanking in English and start speaking in tongues. Just start saying things that you don't understand what it means. And I'm going to give you a book that will explain this in more detail. I know that this is new and some of you, I don't understand what's going on. Here's, here's one piece of information and the book will explain this in a lot more detail. But most people who don't speak in tongues right away, it's because they think the Holy Spirit is going to force you. He'll take control of you and make you talk in tongues. And they're just waiting on something to force its way out. That's not how speaking in tongues is. It's like when I spoke tonight, I believe that God spoke through me, but he didn't take control of me and make me talk. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out with my sense of humor. It was me talking. If I would have just opened my mouth and said, oh God, speak through me, nothing would have happened. He doesn't force you. He inspires it. God inspired what I said. I believe he is the one that gave the utterance, but I talked. Speaking in tongues is like that. It says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the spirit gave them the utterance. You have to talk. You have to make sounds. Amen. And then by faith, you have to believe that it's God. And when you get over the newness of it and you quit feeling totally humiliated, like this doesn't make a lick of sense, you'll find out that it just flows out of you and God will start speaking things to you. And this book will explain a lot, but you have to just take a step of faith and start speaking. So that's what we're going to do. And if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. And I tell you, it's powerful because it bypasses your brain. It bypasses your doubt. And it comes straight out of your born again spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit inspiring it. And the Holy Spirit, God understands the Holy Spirit perfectly. You're communicating with God on a level that you've never done before. It's awesome. Y'all ready? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, 
I thank you for all of these. Thank you for these people who prayed and received their salvation tonight. We believe that all of us now are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we were created to be full of your Holy Spirit, that you want this more than we want it. So right now we open up our heart. Father, we just welcome the Holy Spirit. We open up the doors of our heart and welcome Holy Spirit. Come into us. Fill us with your power. Fill us with all of your ability. Give us this ability to speak in tongues, to bypass our brain and communicate straight from our heart to you. We open up our hearts to receive it right now in Jesus' name. We lay hands on you now in the name of Jesus and we say receive the Holy Spirit. We lose this power of the Holy Spirit to come into every one of you and to just fill you from head to toe. Father, you said that power would come upon us and we receive this power right now. We release this anointing of the Holy Spirit to come into every one of these now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise God. I want you to put your hands up and go to thanking God that his word is true and that he gave you the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we thank you. We believe that we now are God-possessed, that we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Thank you. Talk out loud. You can start thanking him in English if you want to. But thank him. Talk out loud. Thank you, Father, that I am filled with your power. Those of you know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues right now. Begin to worship the Lord. Give thanks for what God is doing. And those of you who are down here, now quit praying in English and start praying in tongues with us. Switch over from English to speaking in tongues. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue will be different than theirs. Every person's tongue is unique to you. It'll be different. But when you try and say it and it comes out different, just keep talking. Don't quit. Just go. Don't worry about what it sounds like. I've heard languages that are clicks of the tongues, whistles. A baby, when they first speak, it doesn't sound like it's a real language. But you know what? It gets stronger and mature. Just keep talking. Your mind doesn't know what you're saying, but your heart is in communion with God. You're bypassing all of the doubt and the unbelief that's in your brain. If you'll let it, the Holy Spirit will just cause this to flow out of you. You're communicating without any of the confusion and doubt that's in your normal mind. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. You know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe that you received the Holy Spirit because God promised you that he would give to those who ask. 
When I first prayed for the gift of speaking in tongues, I didn't speak in tongues immediately. It took me three years before I spoke in tongues, but that was because I was a Baptist. And I had been taught that this was of the devil. And I had so much wrong thinking that I just couldn't do it. I was afraid, but I kept at it and I learned and I got my questions answered. I know that many of you probably have questions about this because this isn't taught on as much as it should be. And uh, I've got a book that I've written all of these things down in and I promise you it will answer your questions. I don't think anybody had any more trouble speaking in tongues than I did. But you know what? I can talk in tongues with the best of them now. So anyway, this book will answer your questions. And I've had thousands of people who didn't pray in tongues immediately, but after understanding and getting the knowledge, they go ahead and speak in tongues. And I'd like to give every one of you this book. We've got Mark standing over here. He's the one that's got his Bible up in the air. And he's going to take you right through a door into this little room right here that's carved out of this auditorium. And they want to give you the book and they will answer your questions. They'll pray with you. They'll help you any way they can. So if you would, take just a moment, follow Mark, and it'll only take a moment. But we want you to get the full benefit of this. So please receive that book. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Awesome. God bless you. Man, isn't this great? So we had 153 before this. So man, that's, I don't know, that's over 200 people. Did you know there was only 120 people that received the baptism in the upper room? on the day of Pentecost, but within just a short period of time, it multiplied to 3,000 and then 5,000 the next week. Man, this could make a difference in the Chicago area or wherever they came from. These are our prayer ministers down here, and these are people that many of them are Bible college graduates or they've been partners with us, but every one of them has been through a training session with uh, Ashley, Carly, and Mark and they know how to pray and believe God. And so we want to offer them to you if you need prayer. All of these miracles that we've talked about, these are the ones that have been praying for them. And so if you would like prayer for anything, if you have a physical need in your body, come down here and let one of our prayer ministers just pray for you right now. Don't forget that we have the CDs and DVDs from the three services that we've already completed. They're made back there. We will have services tomorrow at 10 in the morning and then 6 p.m. tomorrow night. It's not 7 p.m., it's 6 p.m. so that we can get through and our crew can clean up and go to bed before 2 or 3 in the morning. So remember that. And if you can, come back because, man, I've got some awesome things to share with you as we continue going through the book of Colossians. Amen. If you want to stay and pray with us, this is where we had a lot of miracles happen. We had this woman with the grapefruit size hernia instantly dissolve. You're welcome to stay. I believe God is going to touch people's lives. If you need to go, you're welcome to go. Don't forget all of the materials out there. Please take advantage of it. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Praise God. Hallelujah. We've got people standing at the aisles and they're going to point you towards a prayer minister so that people won't just come and everybody stand on one side. So please cooperate with them as they help direct you towards people. Thank you, Father. 
Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father, that you love every single person down here. That you want every single person to be well, that you've already died and provided it. Father, thank you that it's done, that you've already purchased it, and that you've put this power on the inside of us. Christ lives in us, and that we have this raising from the dead power inside of us. So right now we exercise it. You said that if we lay hands on the sick, they recover. We're laying hands on the sick and we command bodies to recover. We command blind eyes to open. Somebody here has been dealing with glaucoma. Here's a healing power of God right now flowing. And God is healing glaucoma. And there could be a number of people that this is applying to. If you're one of those that's being healed of glaucoma right now, I want you to raise your hand so that I can see who I'm praying for. Here's one right here. Anybody else? Here's, Here's a couple over here. Anybody else? Father, for these right now, in the name of Jesus, we command that glaucoma to be gone. Whatever causes this, we just command that cloudiness to be gone right now in the name of Jesus. Glaucoma, you leave. Father, we loose your healing power to flow into their bodies right now. And I thank you that their eyesight clears up. We speak in the name of Jesus that they are going to see clearly. Also, cataracts are being healed. All kinds of things. Detached retinas. Oblong eyeballs. Stigmatisms are being healed. Man, God's just... There's an anointing of God flowing in here. I believe that God's healing people's eyes. If you need your eyes healed, I want you to raise your hand. And we're praying right now. And we just speak that this healing power flows. Command this these eyes to be healed. Floaters in eyes are being healed. Where you see spots, these floaters are being healed right now in the name of Jesus. I command those veins to be healed, to be repaired. Command these eyeballs to be the proper length to focus properly. Command poor eyesight to be gone. Father, we just rebuke sickness. We believe that Moses was 120 years old and his eyesight wasn't dim. And so praise God, we receive our supernatural eyesight. We receive your power flowing through us and healing our eyes so that we see clearly that we focus without any problem. Somebody's got burst of light that every once in a while happens in your eyes. God's healing those bursts of lights. I don't know what causes that, but God's healing that. Command that to stop for your eyes to be healed right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive this. Somebody's been having chest pains. You may not know what that is. I think some people have had it diagnosed, but there's some people here that have chest pains. You don't know what it is, but God is healing these pains in your chest right now. Regardless of what the source of it is, we just release this healing to flow right now. And for whatever's wrong in these people's chest to be healed. Man, there's just, there's a powerful anointing flowing right now. Lots of people are being healed. I believe all kinds of breathing problems, COPD, emphysema, asthma, bronchitis, all kinds of breathing problems. Somebody here has had cancer of the lungs and your lungs are scarred. 
You've taken treatments and you're now over the cancer, but your lungs are scarred. Here's the healing power of God, healing your lungs right now. I want you to receive this. Who's this that's got the scarred lungs? I want you to wave at me so I can see who you are. I know you're here. Over here is somebody with scarred lungs. Anybody else? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you that those lungs are being healed right now. I command that scar tissue to be healed and for him to be able to breathe properly. Father, I release that in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Somebody has hit your head really hard and you've got damage from that. I don't know if it's like external, if you got like a bump or some kind of a bruise or if it's internal, if you did damage to your brain, but somebody has hit your head really hard and here's the healing power of God touching your head and healing this head right now in Jesus' name. Somebody's had problems from this and right now you can feel the healing power of God flowing through you. You're being healed. I tell you, I believe that what I'm saying is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God's ministering to people right now. You need to reach out and receive this. Here's people's hearing that's being opened. Your ears are being opened. Somebody's got total deafness in one ear. Here's your ear opening right now. Command deafness to leave. These demonic spirits of deafness, loose them and let them go. Let go right now in the name of Jesus. Ear you open up in Jesus' name. Somebody's uh, nerve, you've got nerve deafness. Here's the healing power of God making that nerve come back alive. It's going to take a brief period of time, but that nerve is going to totally revive and come back alive in your hearing. Thank you, Jesus. All kinds of hearing loss, partial hearing loss, certain frequencies and stuff. I just speak the healing power of God for deaf ears to be open right now in the name of Jesus. Who in here had hearing problems, total deafness, partial deafness or something? That's you. I want you to raise your hand so I can see who it was. In the name of Jesus, I believe that you're healed. Command these ears to open now in Jesus' mighty name. You know, I was in Arizona a couple of years ago and I prayed and had a word of knowledge similar to this and a guy went home, didn't notice any difference. But in the morning, he went walking and he had such poor hearing that he never could hear the crickets and things like that and birds. And the next morning, he was out on a walk and he could hear everything. And I don't know why it took 12 hours or something, but his ears were completely open. Amen. Whether you've heard a difference or not right now, I believe that God has touched you. Your ears are open. You go to praising God and receive it as being yours and you will see the manifestation of this. I believe your ears are open in the name of Jesus. Here's sinuses being open. People that have polyps in your nose, all kinds of things in your uh, sinuses, in your nose. Here's the healing power of God touching people. Somebody's got a growth on the outside of your nose. You got a problem with that. Here's the healing power of God right now. Thank you, Jesus. We receive it. We command these growths to be gone. We command these sinuses to open right now. 
Satan, we break your power and command you to loose them and to let them go in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Somebody's got stooped shoulders. You've got curvature of the spine, scoliosis or something like that happening. Here's the healing power of God coming to you right now. I command this back to straighten up. You spirit of infirmity, loose these people. Get off of them right now in the name of Jesus. Man, I want you to straighten your back up and then stay that way. You're free of this now. And I command any damage that was done to your spine to be gone. Father, I believe that you are straightening this spine. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody, this is associated with that scoliosis, but your hips were out of whack too. One leg's been shorter than another. God is straightening your hips out. I believe your legs are lengthening, coming the right length. Here's the healing power of God right now flowing and touching you so that there's no problems in this spine. Straightened up now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Oh, God is touching many, many people. Many, many people are being touched. Boy, there's people with pains of all kinds. You could have arthritis, you could have fibromyalgia or whatever, but just people with pain. It could be anywhere in your body. Here's the healing power of God. You know, if you got pain in your body, I want you to stand and wave at me so I can see who it is I'm praying for. And in the name of Jesus, I command all of this pain to leave. And whatever the source of this pain is, you loose us and let us go now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Right here, move around. Begin to do something. Poke where you hurt before. If it was a joint, bend it. Begin to move. And in the name of Jesus, we command every bit of this pain to leave and freedom of movement to come. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody couldn't move your arm. You had pain in your shoulder. Here's the healing power of God flowing through your shoulder. We command all of that pain to be gone. Father, we thank you and praise you for touching these bodies. Praise God. Man, many people are set free of pain right now. Lots of people are pain free. Praise God. God's healing things. And not only is the pain gone, but whatever caused that pain is gone. I believe the healing power of God is flowing in you. You know, there's some people thinking, I don't know if anything's happening or not. Let me just ask right now, if you've, whether or not you've felt or seen the manifestation of your healing, I believe God's healed you. The scripture says that he spoke to a fig tree and it took 24 hours before what he had spoken came to pass. But if you've already been healed of your pain, if your ears have opened, if your eyes have opened, if your sinuses have opened, if a tumor left, if something has already manifested, I want you to raise your hand and wave at me if you've already seen the manifestation of it. Boy, here's dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And this is not to say that the others weren't healed. Sometimes it just takes a brief period of time. But I believe that if God healed one, he healed them all. But this is just to encourage you. There's things happening. People are being set free right now. People are being healed of things. Praise God. Tomorrow we'll have a lot more testimonies about all of the miracles that have taken place. 
Father, we give you the praise. We acknowledge that this is Jesus. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our midst. And Father, we just thank you that this is Jesus moving in our midst, that by your stripes we were healed. And we give you the praise, Father. Thank you for touching every one of these lives. Thank you for the healings. Thank you that cancers are defeated, that leukemia is defeated. Thank you, Father, for all of these miracles. Father, we believe that you healed them all and we pray that every single person here manifests complete physical healing tonight in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Awesome. Praise God. Just got healed of a sciatic nerve. Were you having pain with that? No pain now. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Well, I'm going to let you go. The rest of you, if you need prayer, these prayer ministers are going to be here as long as people need prayer. So please feel free to come forward. Don't forget all of the materials. And don't forget to come back tomorrow. I believe we're going to see some awesome things happen. God's going to set people free. So thank you for coming. 